0: All right, let's uh, let's talk about the menagerie. Eric, would you like to give us a lead into this one? What the, since it's a little bit unusual.
1: This was the only two-part episode in original Trek, and the one of the things uh, about the production of original Trek was that they were constantly short for both time and budget. So they took the original pilot, the cage, uh, which had a completely different cast with the exception of Leonard Nimoy. And they folded it into a two-part episode um, called The Menagerie. And the basis of it is that uh, Spock's former captain, with whom he served for ten years, I think it was, uh, was very badly injured, Captain Pike, Christopher Pike. Well, basically, Spock uh, apprehends him from his hospital room and Shanghai's the Enterprise to take him to Talos Four, which is a forbidden planet, and thereby
0: Is planet forbidden.
1: His <laughs> planet, yes. And is thereby put on trial because uh there actually is uh the only well the only remaining death penalty in Federation law is uh contact with uh uh Talos four and so as part of his defense, uh, we see the entire story uh, of the only Earthship and crew, which was the Enterprise under Pike, that ever visited Telos for. So,
0: so in it, 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 it obviously very much driven by a need in the production schedule to fill some time. And um, it, it's interesting to me that... <clears throat> how i think we I, I think we did touch on this when we talked about the the actual pilot the cage which wasn't too long ago on how effectively it is used in this episode because you know some people describe this episode as a clip show which technically it is because there's a lot of the running time is filled up by previous material but it's done in a very unusual way which actually works i think pretty well and I would I would quibble with that
2: definition uh, or that I, I don't a clip show I <clears throat> see as something that uses previously aired material. Yes, technically that's not true. Pre existing, um, it. I feel like it was a very a very uh, admirable use of of resources. You know, to to bring this material out and and use it in this way uh, strikes. You know, it just seems like it's a good story. It's really interesting. It has a lot of. You know, I mean we've talked about the cage already and what sort of what's effective about it and what's less effective, but it's it's certainly something that deserved to get before an audience and so I think it's it, yeah, I would I would definitely disagree with it. Yeah, and I I, I I show. kinda
0: think that um, given given the way television worked at the time, the silver lining of their production troubles was that this actually did get aired and that possibly if they hadn't, if they'd had more material or or stuff in the can, that they may never have even used this pilot and it would have been forgotten or maybe dug up decades later or something like that, but it would not have been exposed and also um, allowed it to be used as part, to to become part of the canon, so to speak. Yeah. Which, which, you know, Uh, it it just, it really, by introducing it, especially in season one allowed, I think it to um, enrich the, the Star Trek universe as it was.
2: Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. That it it gives a lot of depth and texture of to to the world. Like it it shows you what the past looked like, and it shows you a younger Spock. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just. I mean, and I realized that that wasn't that was not the plan all along. Obviously, but, but no, it, no, it works very well. As Spock looks younger. He looks he's different. You know, he's got got a lot more kind of. He's, Spunk. He looks like he's spunk whatever yeah it looks like he's he's mellowed out kind of of youthful energy (laughs) that
0: he that he obviously plays the shouting yeah yeah which which, which is (coughs) you know you can quibble with certain aspects of it like we might have before but it's really um there there's enough contrast there that it, it makes it very believable that it isn't just oh this was their first attempt at the series no this is actually something that looks like it took place a while a while ago in the past yeah, absolutely. So I I like that. Um, I I have some association with this episode that goes back to high school in my under underachieving academic <laughs> misspent year, misspent misspent high misspent. school years where, um, <laughs> well while most of my friends or all of them were were taking uh, some sort of uh, advanced English classes or things like that, um, I took Bob Knutson's. Uh, Oral and Written Communications Class, <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, it sounds about as advanced as the the name, <laughs> but it's one of the things he, for, I don't know, I, I I wish I could ask him, but he he showed this epi- Star Trek episode in class really oh, wow. on 16mm, wow. yeah. I don't know why he chose this one exactly, I don't remember even discussing it, we might have, but I don't remember what we would have said about it. I, I don't know that for some reason we I remember watching this in in school, <laughs> wow, and uh, that that's I I don't know it just reminds me of that whenever I see the episode just a a thing and I, I've always liked it I, I I think the there are a couple of minor things I think you could point out and I've read some criticism of it but um it, it, as just an episode judge just, just just on it it being as, as a TV episode it might it might be a little bit padded out. It, it's it's like they they put a lot of the pilot footage into the show and maybe it wasn't all necessary even though i i prefer it having in there just because it's more star trek and more star trek is usually better than less <laughs> um, but um in, in this case it, it almost feels like between the framing story scenes and everything it feels a little bit padded i i don't think i ever read one critique that said it really was only enough for one episode but i i don't agree with that it's maybe one and a half, <laughs> if you, if you could do that. It's it's a it's a little bit long for a, it. It's a little bit too long. It would have it wouldn't have been satisfying as a, a single episode. I think. No, because the I was going to say the 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 run up to
2: the the framing at the beginning. I feel like works. What well, now? There are there are all kinds of problems that you could. I mean, we can talk about what does it really make that that much sense? But as drama. I feel like it works very well, the setup. And the clip the clips from uh, the cage don't actually really start until well, well into that first part. Yeah, like
0: more than halfway through I think. More yeah. than halfway
2: through. And so but there's but I'm you know, you're fascinated by what's happening. Um what ha- you know, what happened to Pike is really interesting and sad and uh what Spock's doing
0: is so uh, it's
2: very atypical, actually. Yeah, I mean, I it's mean, it's he, and so you're constantly doing all all these like, things too. you know yeah. betraying
0: his captain and you know doing doing what what really is our emotional emotionally driven mm. things. Yeah, I, you know, it is only justified by the fact that he's half human and that he has right. this extreme right. loyalty to his former commander. Yeah, which which is brought out really well. The other thing that occurs to me is that the the trouble they go to. In this episode, to make pike 's condition really, really awful yeah. as, to, as to more justify the extreme measures Spock takes and also the fact that he's been given back to these people who you know tortured him and held him captive but but that why that is preferable to the life he has in his in his box
1: yeah, one of the things though is that 's an example of um fortuity actually because one of the main reasons that uh, they had Pike so horribly injured and you know the elaborate makeup to make him look like a complete invalid was because Jeffrey Hunter was not available or didn't That's want to very come back That's also a very
0: practical thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah so yeah. they
1: had to have a different actor. I can't remember who it was. It was one of them as one of their um, not an extra but one of their the actors who played uh security guard or something
0: one of the guys kind of like billy blackburn or one of those guys who was there but never had lines
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so
0: yeah um... and that doesn't seem un unreasonable at all but the the fact that he can't even you know he can only answer yes or no i mean it's it must be pretty awful injuries that that the technology in the start in the star trek universe could not make him be able to communicate any better than that but also wasn't enough to kill him. Yeah. You know, well, a, it, I mean it's it, there are practical practical matters of course.
1: Well, you know, and one of one of those practical matters is that if his mind and brain were still functioning, shouldn't Spock be able to do a mind meld with him?
0: That that's a good point.
2: Yeah, I mean that's for me that's the biggest um hole in the the logic of this plot is, I mean, in terms of what we already know about Spock's ability, right? You exactly Spock's ability to do mind melt. but also, um, or any Vulcan for that matter, not just, or any any Vulcan. Right. But also what, and I think it's maybe I'm being too hard on it, but it just, in terms of scientific advancement in a world in which there were things like transporters and warp drive, um, it, it's very easy to imagine that you would have ways of accessing, um, people's thoughts through, you know, electronic means and things like that, detecting, you know, I mean, think about what Stephen Hawking is able
0: to do. Right, right, or, or um, Clint Eastwood in Firefox, who can fly a jet fighter with his mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Or, um, it, it, you know, yeah, this it, thing- it's a, it's a little bit, it's like they go so far overboard to... Uh, to, to yeah, make the plot yeah. work, which, again, I, that that's where you you can you can poke holes, but it's, uh, I, I you know when I watch the episode, I don't it doesn't really bother me.
1: No, and it doesn't me either. But you know it's interesting. Um, just a a slight tangent. We're uh, Charlotte and I are um, in the fourth season of uh, rewatching the BSG reboot.
0: Oh, Oh, interesting.
1: And and one thing that's always bothered me about that is that their technology is sufficient to develop artificial uh, intelligence uh, faster than light travel, interstellar travel. But their medical technology is no further along than ours is. Yeah, it's definitely
0: very retrograde. Yeah,
1: I've never been able to understand that.
2: No, I think there. I think there's an explanation for that. I mean, uh, the. Not to, we are getting off on a tangent, but um, one of the thing, one of the really clever things about that, the world that they they built for that reboot is that there's an explanation for for things that that seem retrograde, um, in that they they have to keep computer technology carefully under control, and so that makes a lot of a lot of the sort of things that they need to do, and and you you know where it would be it would make a lot more sense to have a computer doing, you know, a computer surgery or, you know, uh, robotic surgery or whatever they can't do because of the threat from the Cylons. And so that, I, I can see, imagine that. Well, that, um, that's,
0: that's actually somewhat explained about, like, their communications technology, like why Adama's was yeah. always talking on corded phones and stuff like mm-hmm. that that look like they're off oh. of battleships. And why hmm. they're using
2: uh, paper.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, with, the, with um, the quarters cut off
1: yes but yeah. the thing the thing about that is that um what they also established was that uh it was pretty much from the get-go that the that attitude about fearing technology and artificial intelligence was a holdover from the last war and that i mean when you see the episodes with the pegasus and when you see flashbacks to caprica post nuking They had backed off from that uh, attitude about computer technology. So, there's that. But, you know, one of the other things that has always bothered me about BSG Reboot is that their, their big thing was networked computers. And, yes, if they had networked computers, then the Cylons would be able to just enter... One computer access one computer, and then they'd have access to the entire system. However, that says nothing about uh, whether or not the the Cylons could simultaneously access all of those different computers that they had. I mean, with the incredibly advanced computer technology that I mean, there were computers that they had.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely networking wouldn't see, make a difference. I definitely see what your your point. Um, I mean, there, there are definitely counter arguments to that, like the fact that it's a warship, um, and it's not going to have access to the same um, advanced technology they would have on Caprica, you know, that's that kind of thing. But I, I think it's more of sensibility, really, than of of the kind of set, you know, um, and the world that they live in. That was an attempt. I mean, I think what what he's doing. Um, Ronald D. Moore is actually doing is he's saying if if you had given me if you had put me in charge of of Star Trek Enterprise this is what I would have done with it like he's saying um, if you really wanted to do a an early to show Star Trek in the early years instead of making having a, a ship that looks basically like every other like a Deep Space Nine type of world you know with with a few really stupid Change, like having them rub radiation <laughs> lotion all over their bodies, or whatever, or, or, or that stupid they can't things that go, they do
0: the, their warp speed is slightly lower, something like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, these are superficial differences.
2: It wasn't a change in sensibility and feeling, and, and that's what I think Ronald D. Moore was after with it. And and that's what for me it it was so refreshing. Like I was like, we this all this whole like world of Voyager, uh, Deep Space Nine is just so played out at that point. Well, that, that,
0: that's exactly what bsg is really is Robbie yeah Morris uh reaction to that it's like yeah. like i i need to do something that that where even if it doesn't maybe make sense i'm going to do differently and yeah. and, and that and and the, where the medical thing that i i feel like and they never explain any of that of course but and and there's a lot of tech on the show they didn't get into detail on but it sound i think it's it, it's it's a, a an aesthetic choice more than anything yeah. else that the 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 medical areas are. It, it, he he deliberately made it seem seem kind of like it's more like contemporary, like our contemporary, and, and the doctor is smoking cigarettes and <laughs> yeah. you know there, there's there's that kind of thing. It, it it that was obviously a deliberate choice, and and that also that the military is very retrograde, even in their world. I think that's made pretty clear.
1: Well, it, except in. In our own reality, our own current reality, the military is not retrograde. Partic- no, I mean, no,
0: I'm, I'm not saying that um, it, all of it is meant to reflect our society, but that that's just the world he decided to to come up with, even if it's inconsistent.
1: It, yeah, and it was even more... It was more of, I think, a dramatic decision rather than an aesthetic decision, because if they had had... Medical technology commensurate with their their propulsion technology, then the whole subplot with uh Rosalind and her cancer would have been moot because I mean there would have really there would have been no disease that could have um that would be fatal
2: yeah that's possible i mean it's also it's a warship right it's not not going to have. The advanced cancer treatment. No, but he, or even or on like Caprica, that.
0: she's given a death sentence though before the, oh, the pilot. Right. Right so no, that. I think Eric's right that that is a dramatic conceit. Yeah. yeah. All right, back to back to Star Trek.
2: So, <laughs> and can I? Can, I just wanted to return to a um, a point that John made, which is really interesting, in that he's the way that the Talosians are introduced to us are as these really um, kind of psychopathic. Um. Creatures who are running this—you know—well, they have this zoo that they use for their entertainment and experimentation, and they lack empathy for their subjects. Um, but by the end of the cage, um, whether you buy you fully buy into it or not, it's like the the Talosians themselves have undergone a change. Like they've, at least with respect to human beings, um, they they see that human beings are not capable of being of living happily as, as captives. And so they, presumably they, um, they change their approach, um, to, to the way that they treat humans. Now, as I say it, it seems a little far-fetched, but that I think is the, is what we have to buy into if we're going to accept that, um, at the end of the cage, Captain Pike is perfectly happy with having, um, what's her name? I'm sorry. I forget Vena. Vena stay with the Telosians, right? Um, yeah. And also, at the end, Pike decides to go back to the... Now, it, but it could be that he's that he's choosing a life of captivity, basically, but that it's better than the life that he's living. Um, and, you know, so I think that is, that's maybe in some ways more interesting, even, the, fa- you know, the fact that he's choosing the lesser of two evils, maybe, in a way. Um, but I don't feel like in the Menagerie the Talosians are, you know, the the um, the controller or whatever his name is uh, the head the keeper yeah thanks um, is so is so gentle and you know and no he's much they're much more sympathetic in the yeah. the, the menagerie obviously well, well, don't buy it entirely I don't know I mean I but it it seems like they've that, like the Telosians have evolved in the sense that they've learned something from humans and that they've learned something about freedom and or something about empathy and um, and also, so one more thing just about the implausibility of, of the framing plot is that what, what is hardest for me to believe is that I do believe that Spock would, because of his, he's half human and because he's loyal, extremely loyal, um, that he would be willing to risk his career and, and violate Star Trek. Uh,
0: and Star life. Feet, right?
2: And life, yeah. And he would just, he would be willing to sacrifice his life. To um, to help Captain Pike, but what I what I have a lot of trouble with is that he would do it over the objections of Captain Pike. So Captain Pike is fully capable of choosing, and he chooses. He says no. He keeps saying no, and so Spock is like not giving Captain Pike agency. He's like treating yeah, Captain Pike true. like this child, and so that's that's always. I think I I don't know that that's always what's bothered me about it, but this time it that struck me as the least plot that Spock, you know, someone who has great respect for. For all all forms of life, and um, that especially, you know, that he would he would not respect the wishes of his of the commander that he. So well, loyal that, that to. kind of leads right.
0: into the question: is uh, is, is the whole uh, death penalty for visiting Talus for contrivance? Is that a is is that is that something that that stretches things too much, or is it necessary for it to be dramatic enough?
1: At the time, I'm guessing it wasn't, but in in the wake of all of the trek that's happened since um, them, ha- the Federation having a death penalty for everything, se- for anything at all, seems well implausible.
0: Well, it, it also occurred to me that um, you know the the telosians can can send their illusions a uh, many light years away, um, as they 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 do when the Enterprise is on its way there. So. It, couldn't you know? It seems like that Turin really wouldn't do much good if they really, if the the regulation was put in place to um, ensure that the Telosians' mind um, abilities don't corrupt for Federation, the Federation society. If they if they can reach out probably to other planets and do that, then it's it, it, it it's a if, if you examine it too closely, it doesn't quite hold up with what's displayed in the in the menagerie. I mean, yeah, in the in the actual episode.
1: Well. Probably, what would be the case is that they'd have to. It, it wouldn't be. You can't. Well, it says no contact with Talos IV. It doesn't mean you can't go there, and or it doesn't mean it isn't restricted to going to the planet and landing. It's that you can't have any contact, and so there probably is a, you know, a bubble. Many, many light years at the limit of their uh, their ability to project illusions
0: yeah i, I mean did, did does pike know that what that is though or
1: i think so yeah. because spock tells him you know he asks him if he understands that the keeper is in control of the, the viewer. no
0: no but does does so at the end of the the cage if you go back to the events presumably pike made his report to starfleet and starfleet said wow we cannot have anybody having contact with these guys otherwise our civilizational you know We'll we'll be doomed because you know, you you would basically just live in illusion all the time and society would collapse and all that stuff. Oh, that's uh, it. i not, you know, never thought of that. before. And, and so I so mean- obviously that that was like we can't have contact. It'll it'll destroy the Federation if we learn there. It's like as I said, the, you you would destroy yourselves by learning our our abilities. So I mean, I, it, it's it's it doesn't there isn't quite enough information really to, to go either way on it, but it's it's something that. If the Telosians can, if really if the, if their contact abilities go out many many light years away, I, I it's kind it's of, kind of hard to, it, I know, I, yeah, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going with this, but it's, I
2: I, mean, I feel like the bubble might the the idea of the bubble might explain it uh, that it's not it's. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, when you know, you can get into and, and also uh, that, the, that
0: there's no evidence that the Telosians are hell bent on spreading this to other worlds. You know, they they know, so maybe they thought it was sufficient to just say, no, you really can't go there.
1: Well, my what I got from that, or what I've gotten from it all along, is that the very idea of slavery is so repugnant to the Federation that they're willing to make even the the possibility of allowing it to happen uh capital offense that seems a little extreme, but um that that's what I always assumed the the general order for whatever it was
0: yeah and of course it's it's obviously necessary to give um, the episode stakes
2: yeah, I think it works dramatically very well because it's um and it also sets up. The, um the the threat of the talosians really well for you because you think wow this is so such a dangerous world that um like you said the stakes are extremely high you know i always thought the death penalty aspect of it was just um a, you know to to uh because of the the a basic security issue in that any ship that visited that or came within range of talos IV – would be completely vulnerable, right, to the illusion, whatever illusions the tolosians created, and so it was too risky for any ship to visit. Yeah, that, that makes that's sense. True,
0: and of course, you—you, you, I think you could also argue though that the invention of the holodeck almost would do the same thing.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, there were next-gen episodes that. Uh dealt with that question at least in part you know some of them oh absolutely they
0: they do but you you could but i I just wonder if you if you think about it it, it, outside of the enterprise and and the virtuous uh, starfleet people that what what the the presence of the holodeck or hollow suites or whatever would do to society in general
1: well at least in starfleet you know they exercise some control over that because nobody had they, they
0: definitely do and and now, uh, are, is holodeck technology something that is widely available in, in Next Gen's timeline? Or is it something, you know, that that's, you, know, you have to assume that if they put it on their ships, that it's also on various planets and things like that, like like it is at Quarks and DS9 yeah. and things like that. And I mean, the
1: limiting factor at Quarks would be the money, because, you know, how many people are going to have the kind of cash it would take to either oh, buy but, but, one? But
0: or... we don't have money in the Federation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: Well, they but, do. Okay, <laughs> but
2: re- resource limitations. Yeah, but, there are. Re- but, and
0: maybe it's something that's so um, resource-intensive to deploy that it's not any... But you don't... Your average um, Federation citizen does not have one in his or her home. Presumably. Yeah, that, that seems pre-
2: plausible. But, you know, the I do think it's interesting that the holodeck becomes... Like, that's something... It's definitely something that Roddenberry was... Really interested in exploring, like the whole idea of illusion um, as a, a, a way, a, a pacification device, or a way or a narcotic, as is it, is it's narcotic it, is it referred to it's in, better, in the cage. Much better uh, metaphor, yeah. So, narcotic and and the way that the holodeck is is used and explored, and and the ways um, like Picard, I think the very first. I don't know if it's the very first use of the holodeck, but when he's, you know, that episode we will always have Paris where he's sitting in the cafe and he says like enough of this self indulgence, like that's Picard reject, rejecting the holodeck as a, a way of, you know, a way toward happiness and satisfaction and things like that. And I think, but it's, you know, that's one of the great things about next gen is that the way that it explores that, you know, how do we use illusion and, and what are the risks of it? And, and of course, you know, in the character of um, uh, Broccoli, right? yep. <laughs> Bar- Barclay, um, you know, we have that's like a, a great exploration of that
0: issue. It, it, oh, you yeah, know, I, and In his case, it's it's definitely approached as as an addiction. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, they that's absolutely. one of the first times they yeah. they actually go back to Roddenberry's original uh, view of of uh, allu- illusionary existence being like drug use.
2: Yeah, unless it's something, that, a drug that you need, um, or the, the drug can, for some people, be the, a salvation. You know, like someone like Captain Pike at the end of exactly. Menagerie, yeah. or Vena. Well,
1: but you also have to remember uh, that, that that whole uh, idea about uh, reality versus illusion, or uh-huh. dealing with reality um, up front, Uh, That comes from very early in the episode, uh, the scene between the Doctor and the Captain. Oh,
2: absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where,
1: you know, he says you either face life as it happens to you and, you know, take it head on or you turn your back on it
2: and die. And you start dying, yeah. I mean, that's like a great, that's what makes The Cage such a a well-written story. I mean, I think is that the theme gets stated really early on um, illusion versus reality. And the doctor has his, his perspective. And Pike is like, you know, at the beginning he has a different view. Like he's like, he says, you know, like, I want to pursue a life of, of, it's not a life of responsibility. I want a life of, you know, of, of leisure and, and indulgence. And, you know, that's, seems tempting to me now. And so it's, and that gets played out through the, 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 the whole episode and the whole story. And you know, if, if there's yeah.
0: one thing you could maybe you know, that, that kind of got me thinking a little bit just as you said that Rob that 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 is brought out as a theme and that Pike is, is actually thinking about these things and is wondering about what he really wants and if nothing else it, when when he's faced with that he it, he's almost too impervious to it. Yeah. It, you know, it's it, yeah. it's like he he doesn't you know, none of the scenes in I, I, it almost almost seems like he's not tempted enough because mm, you yeah. know, because of, of the perform of uh, Hunter's performance in there yeah. in, in in that in the pilot that he he doesn't really seriously seem tempted to to just live in this world at all. You know he, he yeah, he's yeah, o- he often very uh, perplexed by it and and things like that. But but you you don't ever get the idea that you know wow I could I could just. You know, live in these fantasy worlds. Uh, that's kind of tempting. He, he, he doesn't seem very tempted by it.
1: Yeah, but the thing is that he he's completely aware that it's it's illusory. So I think I think it's the difference between experiencing an illusion when you don't know it's an illusion, which could be very convincing and very tempting, or versus experiencing an illusion when you know it's an illusion, when you know it's not real.
2: Well, and you, and you know you're a captive of the person who's who's providing the yeah. illusion. Or, or and you
0: don't. It, well, let yeah. let me back that up a little bit then. You know, maybe, and, and you—that's a good point. That I wonder if um, if you had written the story a little bit differently, that maybe he doesn't realize these are illusions at at first. Yeah. With, with but withholding the Telosians and their mental powers from Pike for a little bit longer, how that would have played out. Well, might have been more interesting, but but, you know, you have to get to the point. The the illusion,
1: the first illusion he experiences, I think, is um, the one where that deals with being a an Orion slave girl, slave trader. um, There at that seedy joint with Green Vina dancing seductively, and I think I think it's clear that he realizes that something is off that maybe he doesn't realize it's an illusion but he realizes that um this isn't real or this isn't uh that what he was experiencing because he muses about um uh about all of that so i don't think there there's ever a time when he's unaware that he he's being manipulated
0: no, no, definitely not. No, it, it just be, would have been interesting if to imagine that being uh, done. And, of, of course, that's at odds with the, the story's need to have the Vena character be an object of the story. Throughout. Yeah. And, and because to do that, you would obviously have to have, again, it's like he said, why didn't you pick a different girl? Yeah,
1: you know, the. Um, uh, I want to take issue with that, though. At the very end, the Talosians reveal Vina's true appearance. And shortly before that, in the, the cell, uh, number one, <laughs> in kind of a snarky, retaliatory way, says, you know, there was an adult crewman named Vina on the ship's manifest. Right. You know, doing a little time calculation. So, you know, she's not a anything anywhere near as young as what she uh, is made to look in the illusory form. And uh, yes, I understand that uh, her, part of her explanation is that the Telosians had never seen a human before and didn't know how to put her back together. But with the combination, but with the stated desire of the Telosians to build a, or, well, not stated desire, but, you know, their intention to build a race of slave humans, despite the fact that they had never seen a human before and didn't know how they were put together, what is the likelihood that with a combination of her injuries, her faulty reconstruction, and her age, that Vina would have been fertile.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I I get what you're saying there. And, although, yeah. and, and related to those scenes um, with the the women is yes. um is the 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 descriptions of uh, of number one and the I forget the Colt. You know, okay, her It's like okay, she this one produces. Intelligent children, blah, blah, blah. And this one is really horny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's basically what he says. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, 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 I, I kind of chuckled at that, which I, I'm not sure I... Many years ago when I heard that, it was, it was a little more coded. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, well, you know, Rob, uh, to back up a little bit, when you were talking about the Talosians maybe having a change of heart then when uh, Spock takes Pike back to Talos and you know they invite him to Talos IV, and they invite him to spend the rest of his life with them uh they may have figured out not just that you know trying to build a keep slaves or keep humans enslaved in captivity isn't is isn't going to work but it's also that oh yeah with these two now there's no way for them to mate and produce offspring so you know, fuck it. We'll just let him stay here.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah just let mm-hmm. him live. Yeah. Live with the illusions they want to live. So, yeah. Guys,
0: I need to wrap this up pretty soon here, yeah. actually. So, um, did you have any? Um, let's see. Thoughts? About, uh, is there any misogyny corner for this one?
2: I mean, the the women scene is yeah yeah. I mean, there's but that that stuff is all what we talked about already. Yeah, from the, the pilot.
0: Um I mean, um, it, it, it's an interesting contrast to see. Um, a, a a woman first officer in the old yeah. world and yeah. not in the new one. Where there's not, in the and of course movie. that no. was
1: mainly due to the fact that Roddenberry was sleeping with Major Barrett though. Yeah, right, right. But
0: and also that the women wear pant, they wear pants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the, and the uniforms. That, that's it's a little bit differences, but there's not really any, anything glaringly bad. and the framing story doesn't really have any an, enough going on to to really point to anything in particular. I think. As far, as far as the misogyny aspect of it, you know, that the, this one doesn't really not much of a blip on the radar for that.
1: You know, the, um, just a sidelight, um, the, uh, the change from pants to mini skirt, very short mini skirt, um, in the actual production series. Uh, if you'll remember in, uh, the first book of these are the voyages. Yep. They attribute that change to Grace Lee Whitney, that she was a dancer and she says, you're, uh you're covering up my my best attribute or you know whatever and her leg i.e. her legs and so they gave her a mini skirt instead of instead of the pants now why they would have to make that you know okay all the women have to be wearing mini skirts now instead I know. of you know, I I, I they mainly I mainly
0: credit uh well Matt Jeffries probably partially but I'm I'm guessing Roddenberry probably thought that was a good idea to just have that rolled out. Well, I think um, yeah, it's Matt Jeffries.
1: Uh, it was uh, Bill Thies who was the uh, costume designer. Oh,
0: you're right. Yeah, I've got them mixed up.
1: Yep. But um, yeah, I, I remember also reading an anecdote that Terry Gar, who was uh, Roberta Lincoln in uh, I know um, what you're going Assignment Earth, <laughs> yeah, apparently she won't even talk about having been involved with Star Trek because Ron insisted on her wearing. A ridiculously short miniskirt, which she yep. hated. But I, he was... I read
0: the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> so anyway,
0: <laughs> good guys. Um, any other thoughts on this one? One
2: more quick thing. That's. Uh, uh, it turns out that that Commodore. Uh, Mendez. Thank you, Commodore Mendez. Uh, his presence during the entire court martial and so forth was an illusion, and. I'm curious, like, why? First of all, it it makes it complicates and makes even worse the problem of how far the Telosians' power actually extends. Right? It's just I, I don't understand the decision. Why that decision was necessary, and uh, because it just makes no sense <laughs> to me. Um, that I mean, I, I guess the ju- the the dramatic justification for it is that the Telosians were were interested in in explaining things to Kirk, and that Kirk was their main audience. And so it wasn't necessary to have Mendez, but they needed to have Mendez there, kind of as a foil, you know, kind of objecting to everything and kind of the the devil's advocate and that sort of thing. Um, but why not just why couldn't the real Mendez have been there anyway? I'm curious what you guys think about that.
1: I don't see any reason why that was necessary. Yeah. yeah
0: it's a little odd. Actually, I think you're right. I doesn't seem any yeah, there doesn't seem to be a good justification for it other than look what they <clears> look <throat> what they can do. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: you know, and the thing about that is um my supposition about, you know, there there is some bubble um, you know, x number of light years in diameter around Talos does, you know, Yeah, or um
0: well, there there was talk that there need to be a certain number of officers present for the court martial hearing.
1: Well, right, and they even say that you know yeah. that um, his presence was necessary to provide the trial to prevent Kirk from gaining regaining command
0: too soon. But
1: the why, problem is, why, that, why, that why I, couldn't
0: they just trick Mendez into coming anyway?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, but you know the the, the real thing is um, Spock said uh, when he was talking with Pike that you know I have it well planned. It's right um x number of days at maximum warp, and uh, they were on that star base, so apparently the telosians can project their illusions a really long way because yeah. they would have had to project it clear to the star base
2: yeah it's, it feels like a last minute choice yeah that it, was just it, kind it does of...
0: and it doesn't quite stand up, but uh yeah it, it really it, it's it's pretty minor, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really sabotage anything all right, guys, we will see you next time. All right. All right. Take care. Feel better, Rob. Yeah, Rob.
2: Thanks. (laughs) Bye-bye.